Okay, keep your expectations low. <laughs> I believe the sermon uh, series that we're in is This Is Normal. Um, as we know that nothing about journey is normal. <laughs> never has been, never will be. And uh, it's an interesting title for a sermon. Last week, John preached. I listened to the preach on the, the podcast, and uh, he covered a, a tremendous amount, um, as John does, usually three times the amount of anybody else in one sentence. <laughs> and um, I'm a bit slower. But basically, John talked about the state that God created us for before the fall, and how we look and see that in the entirety of, of human history, there's only ever been three people that have managed to live for any period of time in that state. Uh, two of them blew it for the rest of us. One of them was Jesus, who actually remained completely spotless and without sin, and is in that state of perfection now. And we st I heard from John that he, he talked about relationships, he talked about love, and how love flowed in relationships, and that we were glued together in this integrity, and that because of sin coming into the world, and, and how he looked at sin, and what sin did, uh, the universal glue of all of our relationships with God, with others, and ourselves was fractured, and the consequence of that was that we began to fall short. Well, we didn't begin to fall short. This earring is clicking, isn't it? Yes, it's clicking. I knew it was going to click. I said it would click. The other one's clicking as well. <laughs> right, excuse me while I just undress. <laughs> uh, so, that's the wrong earring. That'll do. It'll do. It'll do. Um, yeah, the consequences of falling short, um, missing the mark doing it our way were catastrophic. And when we go from Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 4, although we don't know a time frame, we actually saw that the decline into sinfulness of the human race was not gradual, but it was, it was spectacular, I mean, to say the least. I, I, I think I've said before, I've brought up two boys that haven't really got on with each other. They've hated each other, actually, in sibling rivalry, but they're both still alive. We see in chapter 4 that uh, Cain ended up killing his brother Abel. And we see the story through history of uh, God revealing himself to man. We see the, the continued uh, moving of God towards man, the revelation of, of God to man. And we see that in Jesus... We have the kingdom of God coming to us upon earth and the, the concept of the kingdom of God being restored in us and through us. And this is my words. This wasn't John's words, but I thought it might be a little way of finishing that little synopsis uh, that Jesus ends up being the glue maker. But you know the song, The Way Maker? I've just added another verse. <laughs> the glue maker. He is the one that is able to restore that which was broken and, and put together, um, not humanity, but his people, and to restore the kingdom of God on this earth.
Um, what I would like is, is for the first scripture to, to come up on screen, uh, which is from um, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, if we could have that, please. And uh, this is quite a long piece of scripture, but it's a very good piece, and I didn't know which piece to leave out, all right? <laughs> so, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. As for you and me, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. We gratified the cravings of our flesh, followed its desires and thoughts, all of us. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now, I don't like it when John does this. So I'm going to do it. <laughs> Say it. By grace, I have been saved. By grace, I have been saved. Now, if you've just said that and you weren't saved, you need to question that. Okay? And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. There you are. Do you think that Paul's saying something here? Very important. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Such a powerful piece of scripture. Such a powerful piece of scripture. Now, if normal can be defined as that state of unfallenness and unbrokenness, then what do we live in now? I call this sermon the new normal. It's a a phrase that uh, came, it was highlighted really following the pandemic, wasn't it? You know, that, that during the pandemic, our lives were considered to be deviated, abnormal from the way that we, we've lived. And I, I remember on March the 23rd, the last uh, service that we ever had in the grammar school in Antrim. And I remember my son ringing me and saying, Mum, you need to get a plane home. Everything is going to lock down in the coming days. And I had a heads up. And I went home not realising that we'd not be back here for for many, many years that we wouldn't be meeting together and that that was our last Sunday in the grammar school as a church here in Journey. And then when we came out of the pandemic, a miracle had occurred and this had happened. (laughs) I mean, who does that except God? And 
here we are as a church, and now we've established ourselves as a church. Within the first month, I said to John, this place is going to be too small, and I was right. And we see that we, we then were hearing these words on the television, on the news, we're now living in a new normal. Now, actually, what that meant was it was worse than it was before. <laughs> you know, Brexit happened, all the prices went up, you know, the chaos of the pandemic is still with us. And if the chaos wasn't due to the pandemic, it's still being blamed for the chaos that's still with us, right? And so the new normal really is saying that things, the way things are, are not the way things were. It doesn't necessarily mean it's better. And I thought, well, why am I then saying that this sermon is called the new normal? Because I was looking at the fact that we need to be aligned to God's way for our lives, coming from our own beginning points. That actually, we've lived lives that have not been normal, according to Ephesians, and now we're living lives that are different. Please, God. Um, We see that... uh, We no longer can think about the Garden of Eden, that place of perfection, the point where everything was broken. We're not going back to that in the same way as we can never return to life as it was before the pandemic. We're moving forward. We can never go back to what was. We can only go forward into what is to come. We're moving through space and time, and, and we're moving forward. I looked up the term new normal, how it was defined, and I found it really interesting because I thought this is not a good title for a sermon. (laughs) It's a phrase that's become widely used, this is the quote, following the pandemic. It means we cannot go back to what was, but we can redefine life so we can move forward. It's defined as a current situation, social custom, etc., that is different from what has been experienced or done before, but it's expected to become usual or typical. Now, if you go back to the old normal before the pandemic, and now you look at the new normal post-pandemic, neither of them were much good. (laughs) In other words, the the new normal is not really normal. Normal is a movable feast. Normal is the way that we learn to adapt It is the moulding of the way we believe life should be. Uh, Even in church, it's the the moulding of what we believe a Christian should be and how a Christian should act. It's what our parents, our education, our society, our culture teaches us, uh, whether it's overt or covert. It's the way life is. Um, I used a term last night. um, I I, I was writing to somebody, and, and I used a term that I've heard in Ireland, scundered. Yeah? I said, I'm, I'm scundered. And even as I used it, I thought, I've got no idea what it means, whether I've used it in any context, but it just seemed to be a good word for the moment. And I thought, this is not right. I am picking up the culture. This has got to stop. what we get used to, basically. 
Um, it's subject to philosophy and revolution and war and politics and reactivity. When the new normal becomes accepted, it just becomes normal. Normal is just the way it is. I hope you got that. In other words, we're doomed. <laughs> we're all doomed. The new normal, as well as the old normal, has always been doomed. And actually, the beginning of Ephesians is telling us that. You know, you who were dead in trespasses and sins, you that, that walked according to the ways of this world, let, let, let me actually quote it as it's written, not as I think it's written. You who, who uh, followed the, the spirit of disobedience, um, you who gratified the flesh and followed its desires and its thoughts, don't think you still don't do that, by the way. You, like the rest, were deserving of wrath. You're doomed. <laughs> but, because of God and his great mercy, he made us alive and he saved us. That is amazing. Amen. The new normal, the old normal, was and always will be death. But God raised us up and changed the trajectory of our lives. Isn't that amazing? Do you know how impossible that is? He revealed something to us. His incomparable riches of grace and kindness. He did something we couldn't do. Do you know what? He's still doing something we can't do. He's actually saved us from the new normal. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. says, do not be conformed. Do we can have that up on the screen? If not, I'm going to say it anyway. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, okay, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Now, that doesn't mean to say you, you try it out and you think, well, yeah, I like this bit. <laughs> that is his good and pleasing and perfect will. God wants you not just to be aware, but to know his good and pleasing will for your life. And... If you're struggling with that one, because I know a lot of people do, by the end of this sermon, I'm going to tell you what it is. Because I know exactly what the good and pleasing, perfect will of God is for you and for me. Now, you might not agree with it. You know, that's up to you and God. That's not between you and me. But the essence of this scripture is about not being conformed, but being transformed. That means to accept right now that whatever your ideas are about Christianity, whatever your ideas are about church, whatever your ideas about life are, you will never be normal. <laughs> and I really would like you to drop that idea. You will never go into a new normal, I hope. 
because the new normal is only ever a hash-up of the old normal and an excuse for why things get worse. We're called to be something totally new, a new creation in Christ. You know, eternal life doesn't begin when we die. We're walking in this life having eternal life. And we're walking through time to a point where time will be no more. But we're still walking in eternal life. You're not going to be waiting to heaven to actually say, right, now I can, I can rest. No, God has begun a work in us now. And the outworking of that work that he does in us is not just about us, but about the manifestation of the kingdom of God to this world. Being born again, if I use that term at the moment, hoping that most people in the room will understand it, if you, if you don't, you can talk to me afterwards, is something which has begun on earth but is completed in heaven. We're living in the now and the not yet. And do you know, it's interesting when I print things out because I miss an entire page. <laughs> But it's all right. It doesn't matter, does it? Because who cares about notes? I was reading some articles as I was attempting to prepare for this sermon on how we should live as Christians. And they all involved, all of these articles from Dr. Google... They all involved what we should and shouldn't do. They all involved pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. They all involved behaviours that are external. And it seemed by the time I'd finished them and I had a headache, that I can be saved, only saved, by grace through faith. But from then on, I have to work pretty hard to be an acceptable Christian. I don't think that's what the Bible says. So I've retitled this sermon. It's the abnormal life. The abnormal Christian life. Abnormal, according to the dictionary means to be deviated from normal. It's usually used in quite a negative derogatory way to, to, to define something that is sick, you know, particularly in the medical world. Okay? Or, or, you know, that, 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 that this is what is considered to be right, but over here is abnormal. I want to use it in a positive way. We are to be abnormal. I think I've written, written down something here that I can't find, of course, what I thought was a really good thing to say. <laughs> let, me see. let me see if I can... What should we be? What should we be? Who cares what I've written down? <laughs> 
We should be like a great big wart on the end of somebody's nose. You know, one that actually sticks out in a crowd. Big red one. We should be light in darkness. We should be salt in soup. We should be something as Christians that actually makes us stand out from the rest. We have to see that the way we are is not the way that we should be. And the way we should be is not the way that our ideas make us what we should be. Excuse me a minute, just talk amongst yourselves. (laughs) Ah, here we are. You know, salt and light is something that the Bible teaches us we should be. And I was looking at salt. Salt doesn't only flavour something, it preserves. And it doesn't only do that, it stings like mad if you get it in a cut. Because it has antibacterial properties. Apparently, salt sucks the life out of bacteria. A bit like putting salt on a slug. It's a favourite pastime of mine. (laughs) I told you there's a closet serial killer here. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Do you think that you, that Journey, sucks the life out of the evil around us? Or do we suck in the evil that's around us? It's a big question. How can we escape normal, new normal, and become abnormal? How do we become salt and light without falling into legalism? All the rules you have to keep, all the rules you can't keep, all the rules somebody else would like you to keep, all the do's and the don'ts. When I first became a Christian, uh, I used to go to a Bible study at a very evangelical church. I I was actually an Anglican, and um, I'm really grateful for my foundation as an Anglican. I'm a closet Anglican, and... um, Yeah, I I loved being an Anglican. That was my platform. And I went to this evangelical church because they had a youth ministry and a Bible study. And I learned all the things I shouldn't be doing as a Christian. And one of the things we weren't allowed to do was wear makeup. Now, I don't wear makeup that much. My skin, it it doesn't like it, and, and I can't be bothered with it, Okay. I'll slap a bit of foundation on as my shadow at times, but that's it, it's rare. But I began to go with green eyeshadow on. (laughs) I did. And do you know what they called me? Jezebel. 
I never knew who Jezebel was, but she obviously wore green eyeshadow. And I began to question them. How can me wearing green eyeshadow um, violate who I am as a Christian? There was no answer for it, except that you don't do it. There are things you do do, and there are things you don't do. Read your Bible, pray every day, but don't go to the pictures, because if Jesus comes back, you'll be in the cinema. <laughs> Honestly, I was brought up on that, which is why I'm so grateful for the Anglican Church. <laughs> How... How then should we live? How then should we live? I mean, that's the real question, isn't it? You know, all I've said is hot air unless we come down to some real practicalities. How can we escape the fact that we all have been conformed to the patterns of this world? You know, by our nationalities, by our history, by our culture, by our education, by our parenting, by our church environments, if you've been brought up in church, by the things that you consider to be norm, because everything that you've experienced in your life is your normal. Everything I've experienced in my life is my normal. And then we come together as this group, and we say, you know, we've got to live out this Christian life, and yet we don't even agree necessarily on how we should live out this Christian life. How do we become salt and light without falling into legalism or the converse, liberalism? You know, I'm free from legalism. I, you know, the law that can't be obeyed. Therefore, I can go out doing this and I can do that and I can do the other because I'm free. Have you heard that? You know, I, I, I don't want to, to put out any condemnation, but if the cap fits, wear it. Okay? You know, there are things that Christians are free to do, but it's not expedient that they should be doing them. There are things that actually hurt our lives and hinder us in our walk in Christianity. And there are also decisions that we make to do things or not do things that are made out of emotional conflict and out of struggles in our own heart. There are things that we do, and I'm, I'm including myself in this, we won't all be doing or not doing the same things, but there are, we are all uh, somehow orientating at times towards those, satisfying those desires and what the Bible calls gratifying the flesh. You know, the, the, the flesh is not this bit. The flesh is that inner nature that somehow when we become Christians begins the war inside, the battleground of the soul, which is the mind. And those issues, those conflicts that we carry keep us stuck in, in patterns that are conformed by this world. We've been conformed by this world. I mean, you know, I know John frequently asks this, and I, I think you'll always get this from this platform. How much unforgiveness do you carry in your life? Give me an hour. I'll discover it for you if you don't know. <laughs> How many grudges do you bear? How many offenses do you take on board? What are those behaviors in secret that you struggle with? What are the addictions you carry? You know, we all, we, we all carry them in some way. Do you know they're being fed by something inside of you that is gratifying the flesh? 
And it's gratifying the flesh because there's a great big void there. If you want to know more about that, come to TT. <coughs> How do we begin? What do I say to you this morning that could change your life? Because after all, when we come to church, we want to be able to see something. We're not just coming because it's the thing to do on a Sunday, I hope. It is coming because we want to grow. And if you're here because in your heart you want to be free, you want to grow, you want God to do something in your heart and life, it's because he's put that desire there. You know you never had that until he put it there. So however much you and I struggle with the life that we live, the fact that we want to change it or be changed in it is because he's placed that there. Where do we begin to live this new life? How do we become abnormal? Uh, and when does it begin? Well, God begins it at the point when he reveals himself to us. But it's a continual process of revelation. It's a continual process where he brings us back to the feet of Jesus. Where do we begin today? Where do we draw a line from perhaps this morning before we came to church? At the feet of Jesus. Do you think God ever thought you could live a good Christian life? No. He knew you couldn't save yourself. He knows you can't transform yourself. He knows that actually the bottom line for all of us is we can't do what can't be done. Only he can. I became a Christian at 14. I was very reluctant. Um, my step into Christianity was because I heard a message where I was being hung over hell and um, I didn't believe in that. I was brought up in a non-Christian atheistic home um, and for some reason the school that I was at at the time our deputy head was a Christian not that I knew what that was, actually. And Billy Graham was in England. And they were taking coachloads of students, pupils, up to Billy Graham. Wouldn't be allowed today. It's crazy, isn't it? And, and Christianity was, was rippling through the girls' school that I was in. And I thought, this is not for me. No, thank you very much. Uh, because I was 14 and I, I was doing a class on evolution. I, I was into science. Yeah. I was Dawkins' assistant. <laughs> and um, I remember one night suddenly having this thought. But what if it is true? What if the message of Christianity is true? 
I'm a bit up the creek without a paddle then, aren't I? Because I will be going to hell. And so I said a prayer. I didn't know it was a prayer. I said, God, if you're there, and I don't believe you are, it's not your tra- traditional evangelical prayer, isn't it? Is it? I repent of my sins. I, I wasn't sure I had any. Uh, God, if you're there, you can come into my life. It's very noble of me. <laughs> and he did. And I began a journey. And, and I had no idea about Christianity. But he began to work in me. And the way he worked was I began to want to do things that hitherto I wouldn't have wanted to do. And vice versa. And I remember when I was 15, coming up to 16, I loved sailing. You know, when I was at school in the 60s, um, there were unlimited resources. Britain was rich. We had every resource thrown at us. And so every Thursday afternoon, we had off for sports. And we could choose whatever sport we wanted to do. Ice skating, canoeing, horse riding. The school paid for it. And I chose sailing. And I got the sailing bug, dinghy sailing. And, and I used to go to um, sailing school over near Southampton, a place called Cowshot, where you know, we used to sail these little boats across the Isle of Wight. And um, you know, our hands would be bleeding because we weren't allowed to put... They're not called ropes, they're called sheets in the cleats, these little fastening things. And... I don't know why we weren't allowed to do that, but we, we had to hold them, and so our hands were bleeding. And at the end of the day, we'd all go to the pub, which we weren't allowed to do because I wasn't 16. And um, we discussed what a fantastic day it was, you know, and, and how many blisters we had and <laughs> showed our bleeding hands. And, and it was wonderful. And I got to a point where I was asked to become a crew member of a very prestigious sailing club in a place called Fareham in Hampshire. Very prestigious. And it was like, this is amazing. I'm in Fareham Sailing Club. There wasn't a lot to do in those days. <laughs> you know, apparently it was the time of sex, rog, uh, you know, drugs and rock and roll. My mother wouldn't let me out after half a state, so I never found any of that. But I, the sailing club. And I decided... This was going to be amazing. And then I discovered that the regattas were held on a Sunday morning. And suddenly I was faced with this incredible dilemma. Did I go to church or did I put sailing first? And it was an anguish for me to choose because it's there at sailing club. And I really want to do this. But something was at work in my heart. I didn't even know about the Holy Spirit that led me to make the decision, I'm going to go to church. Now, remember, I'm an Anglican. 
not even an evangelical Anglican, a sort of middle-of-the-road one, who rather liked bells and smells <laughs> and liturgy. I loved it. I think I still do. And I made that decision. And I never went to the sailing club. Do you know what? God has never given that back to me. In my entire life, I have never gone sailing again. Because he knows how easily conformed I can be to the patterns of this world. There are things that God speaks to in our lives and he says it's time to give that up. It's time to stop that. And it it can be a difficult tension and struggle to do that. But when God speaks and he asks us to do something, he gives us the power to do it. And he leads us to say, I'm not going to be conformed to this world, the patterns of this world. I want to be transformed. There are things that I am doing or not doing in my life that need to change. They need to change. There's no way that I can live up to the measure that people think Christianity is, particularly those who say, you call yourself a Christian? There's no way that I can live up to what you think I should be as a Christian. But there is a way that God can make me into something I'm not. He requires us to make decisions. He requires us to do something that even without his help is impossible to do. When you are faced with the dilemma of having to make a decision, maybe it's God that's dropped that dilemma into your heart. The human race was collapsed by one act of disobedience. One act. Our lives can be changed by obedience. And obedience is God consistently and continually realigning us towards obeying him. As a Christian, how should I live? I should live a life of forgiveness. I can't do that unless I'm forgiven. I should live a life of seeking first the kingdom of God, which means letting go of anything that hinders my walk in the kingdom of God. When God shows that to me, or let me clarify that, don't wait for voices. God has shown us in his word the things that he requires of us. Let go of judging God on the way that he has dealt out your life. You know, the things that happen to us in our lives, the circumstances of our lives, we judge on the basis of the fall. We judge on the basis of the knowledge of good and evil. 
We judge what's right, we judge what's wrong, what's good and what's bad. And that can lead us into a struggle with God. This coming week marks an anniversary in my family. My daughter-in-law died this coming week, Valentine's Day. She died two years ago of melanoma. I didn't want that to happen. Oh, there was nothing in me that wanted that to happen. But God took her home. And in the last moments, the last hours of her life, she opened her eyes and she gave her life to Christ. So I know where she is. But I don't understand why my three grandchildren don't have a mother and my broken son doesn't have a wife. but it's all in God's plan. It's all in his purpose. I can't speak for anybody else's life, but for my life, it changed me. Now, it could have changed me into bitterness, or it could have changed me into the image of Jesus. Um, Another thing that you need to do, I need to do, is have a spirit level. Stay straight. Read scripture. Read scripture. But I'll repeat that point. Have a spirit level. Continually permit yourself to surrender to an encounter with the Spirit of God. Let him touch your life with an anointing. Continually be led by that Spirit into encounters with you, with him. That he might touch your life. And, and that can be hard for some of us. I'm, I know it's always been hard for me because sometimes you look an idiot. <laughs> You know, I do remember some years ago in 15D, crawling under the chairs, telling people to (laughs) please stop. Because it affected my dignity. That's to assume I've got any. Talk to God continually. Commit your way to him. Heal your relationships. Restore love. And this is, this is the real key, okay? This is the one I want you to get. Because this is how you will know the plan of God for your life. In any situation, okay? Whatever situation... Are you ready for this? Give thanks. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Me. Thank him. Stop saying Why? Stop contending. Stop judging him. Why are you struggling? Why are you suffering? Why is something going on in your life that you can't control? I don't know. But he does. Give thanks. Because it will pass. It will pass. One day you're going to (laughs) die. It will pass. I promise you it will pass. But you know, I'm just saying that, one day you're going to die. Do you know what the, um, the rule is of Christianity? The rule of Christianity for you and for me is not that we live a good Christian life. It's that we die in our Christian life. Not, not physically popping your clogs, but actually 
your innermost being being surrendered to, to him and it being not my will but yours be done reveal in me the kingdom of God whatever it takes knock the insides out of me and change me transform me so that I become a living epistle I said this to the group yesterday and I, I know I'm running out of time and, and maybe the worship group can come up um, that we are, Paul says we're living epistles read of all men when people see your life not today but in the middle of the week what do they read? Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Can you say that? Can I say, you want to be like Jesus? Follow me, because I know him, and I have been transformed into his image. That's arrogant a bit, Paul, isn't it? No, that's, that's the biblical way. We need him to help us live an abnormal Christian life. We need his help to take us away from what has been considered to be normal or what's considered to be the new normal. We need him to actually shape us. We need him. You know, if you don't know him, can I suggest that you pray the same prayer as I did? God, I don't believe in you, but if you're there, I'll give you permission. As if he needs it. There's no formula. You know, if you're lost, come to Jesus. If you're struggling with conflict today, come to Jesus. If you're confused, because probably you are by the end of the sermon, come to Jesus. If you're struggling with a sense of guilt or shame or a sense of sinfulness, that you're being accused or somebody else is accusing you, because God isn't, come to Jesus. Actually, whether you're here in person or online, you don't need an excuse. Come to Jesus. Take his yoke upon you. Right now, in your innermost being, surrender to him. Hands out, surrender to him. Surrender. Let the old you that thought you could sort your own life out tried your best, did it your way, let that person die. Let go and let God. And my final scripture of the day is from Galatians. Well, in fact, I've got two there, one from Corinthians as well. This is what God requires of a Christian. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Let go and let God. Let him realign you. You know, even the desire to follow him has been placed there by him. Let go of legalism, but please let go of liberalism. You are free to do whatever you like behaviorally, but it's not going to help you if it's not what God requires. All right? Abnormal, wart on the nose stuff, okay? God bless you.